almost becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard. Fear no evil. Get yours today only at LipstickBodyguard.com. up this week on Parents Are Hard to Raise. Diane's guest, Dr. Judith Moskowitz, talks about the eight positive emotion skills and the benefits they have on our health. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard to Raise on Spotify. are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. I'm so very excited to have our guest in the studio today. Dr. Judith Moskowitz is a professor of medical social sciences at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago. Trained as a social psychologist and epidemiologist, she studies the impact of positive emotion on life stress. She is the principal investigator of several NIH-funded trials designed to increase positive emotion and improve the well-being in people experiencing different kinds of life stress. In other words, she's looking for ways to help us make it through life despite the stuff that happens to us. Her research team is currently conducting trials aimed at improving health in dementia caregivers, high school students, people with type 2 diabetes, women with stage 4 cancer, and people living with HIV. That's quite a full plate. Dr. Judith Moskowitz, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you for inviting me, Diane. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to have you with us because it's so easy to head into a downward spiral when you're experiencing a lot of stress. We have our everyday stress and then added to that the stress of caregiving. So your work is so important and so needed to all of us. Yes, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us, how did you make the connection between stress and positive emotions? Well, this, this work started probably 20 years ago. Um, I was working uh, as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of California, San Francisco. And I was working on a study of men caring for their partners with AIDS. And this was the early to mid-1990s, so mm-hmm. before there were more effective treatments for yeah. AIDS. And so it was essentially a terminal illness. Yeah. So we were studying the, the caregiving partners and looking really specifically at the stress of caregiving. And, yeah. and you know, yeah. in one of these situations that are, it, it is some of the most stressful yeah. life circumstances you can imagine, right? Yes. So we were studying and we were asking them um, uh, to tell us about a recent um, caregiving event that was stressful for them. Or for some of them whose partner had died, because they they continued in the study even after their partner died, a recent um, event related to bereavement. 
So we asked them, you know, a recent stressful event and had them tell us about it. And then we said, you know, what did you do to cope with it? Right. Um, And then they would they would talk about that. And that was the end of the interview. Um, And very shortly after the and then we said, you know, thank you. We'll see you in two months and, and talk to you again and see how things are going. And very shortly after the start of the study, the participants started saying, now, wait a minute. You're not asking us about the good things. Wow. And, you know, <laughs> as researchers, we were sort of surprised because yeah. we were really coming at it looking at for stress and negative emotion. Right. Um, so uh, but our participants were telling us what they wanted to talk about. So we started asking them about positive things that were happening. Um, and in and, and, you know, had hundreds of interviews. Yeah. Um, and in 99 percent of them, the caregivers could tell us something positive that happened in the in the past week even if their partner had just died wow um so it was this sort of um light bulb moment where you realize that you know maybe we need to be sort of broadening our perspective and looking more you know not solely at what's stressful but also what what the good things that are happening yeah because it seemed to be helping people cope better with the stress so that study sort of launched me on this path of looking at um, uh, what we ended up calling the co-occurrence of positive and negative. So that even if you're experiencing really significant life stress, right. you also, and you know, it's, it's normal to be depressed and distressed yes. in that situation, but there people have the ability to also experience positive emotion alongside um, so that's what I started researching and, and how I, I was set on this path of looking at positive emotion in the midst of stress. And so you developed this program to, to help people experience more positive emotion on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm trained, as you noted, as a social psychologist. So I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not um, you know, in, in my office, uh, providing counseling to anyone. I'm, I'm much more comfortable sort of observing people. Ah, Okay. (laughs) And so, but it, it became clear after a few years of doing, you know, what we call observational studies, just seeing and measuring how people cope in stressful situations. Um, after a few years of these observational studies that showed us that positive emotion did occur under these stressful circumstances and that, people who were able to have more positive emotion under these circumstances um, did better. They were able to cope better. They were happier and long-term they were healthier and they experienced less stress um, and distress from the situation. So after a few years of of studying this and and other, you know, uh, more of this work was coming out in the literature too. It it was really clear to me that someone (laughs) needed to design an intervention to help people, um, use these positive emotion skills um, to then cope better with whatever type of stress they're coping with. So I, um, and, you know, social psychologists um, are used to doing these laboratory studies where you bring people in and do what we call a mood manipulation. So you show them like funny movie clips or, you know, literally puppies and kittens or (laughs) things like that, which work in the moment to increase your positive emotion. But I was really looking for things that people could take up as a skill, sort of a, um, a toolbox of, of habits they could, could, um, take on, um, to help them have more positive emotion in the midst of stress. So, you know, we went to the literature and found, you know, a set of skills that, um, 
had been shown in previous studies to increase positive emotion. And then I put them all together in a package and then started testing them in various groups experiencing mostly health-related stress, but um, also, as you noted, um, people experiencing more sort of everyday stress as well. And so you developed eight positive skills for stress Mm -hmm. relief. Mm -hmm. So could you tell us about them? Yes. So... um, uh, like I said, these are, these have all been shown to uh, be effective, you know, on their own. And what we wanted to do was um, put together a package, sort of a buffet of skills that people could choose from. So okay. it's not that it's not that you have to do all eight of these okay. and that they have some sort of magical synergistic effect. Right. It's that you know different things work for different people. So we wanted to offer people a number of skills so they could you know gravitate to the one that worked best for them. So um, the first skill is uh, noticing positive events. And, you know, this is, um, especially if you're experiencing chronic stress like caregiving, um, sometimes it's hard to notice the good things that are going on. Right. So this is just about taking a moment to notice that there are good things. And this is, you know, something that we learned very quickly from our AIDS caregivers that, I mean, they sometimes when they would report a positive event, they would talk about, Um, something related to their caregiving, like they were able to make their partner a good meal or something like that. But often the positive event was like a good cup of coffee or a lovely sunrise or a stranger smiling at them on the street. And it's often something really small. You don't have to win the lottery. It doesn't have to be this amazing, huge thing. It's really just um, the ability to sort of take a step back and and note there, there are actually good things going on. Um, So that's noticing positive events. And, Closely related to that is um, capitalizing on them or savoring. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is sort of, um, you know, telling someone about the positive event. It's um, putting it in your diary. It's even just thinking about it uh, later on, putting it on social media, um, because that gives you a chance to re-experience the positive event. Right. I mean, if you've if you've ever had a friend who, you know, you go out to a movie and have a nice time and the friend is still talking about it the next day or a week later, that's savoring. That's like, remember that really great time we had? And it just sort of gives you a chance to sort of get a a hit of that positive emotion. Yeah. And you you get that positive feeling back again. That's right. That's right. Um, the third skill we teach is gratitude. Um, and you know, everyone is familiar with what this is. And we, we basically teach people that, you know, gratitude can be, it can be sort of part of your spiritual or religious tradition, but it doesn't absolutely doesn't have to be, it can be gratitude to another person. Um, and it's just, again, noting, um, something that you're grateful for each day. So it's, it's closely related to positive events, but um, not completely overlapping. Um, The next skill we teach is mindfulness. So, um, you know, this ability to uh, uh, pay attention intentionally and um, maintain non-judgmental awareness of whatever is going on in the present moment. So your thoughts, your feelings, physical sensations. Um, It's really a way to sort of avoid, um, you know, rehashing what just happened. Why did I say that? That was so stupid or, or rehearsing what's going to come up next. Um, If you've ever been, um, you know, in a group where you're going around the table and you're introducing yourself, 
and you're so focused on what you're going to say yes. about yourself, sort of rehearsing what you don't hear what anybody else says. Right. So that's that's like the opposite of mindfulness. So actually, one of the activities that we do when we do this in groups is to do that sort of introduction thing and huh. to note, oh, yeah, I didn't even hear what that person before me said because I was so busy thinking about what I was going to say. Right. Um, exactly. And then we go around again trying to really listen to the other people um, and and. Uh, and to sort of experience that contrast between being mindful in the moment and not being mindful in the moment. So uh, we're going to continue. (laughs) That's okay. We're going to continue talking to Dr. Judith Moskowitz um, and the eight positive skills for stress relief. But first, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Have an Amazon Echo or Dot? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard To Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show, it's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. 
And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. So, Judith, we were talking about the eight positive skills for stress relief. And number one was noticing positive events. Number two, savoring those positive events. Three, expressing gratitude. And four, practicing mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So now, how about the rest? <laughs> <laughs> so number five is positive reappraisal. Um and, you know, the way you appraise or interpret a situation okay. drives your emotional response to it. So right. <laughs> um, a positive reappraisal is looking at a stressful situation and seeing ways that it could be interpreted positively. So, okay. you know, maybe, you know, my favorite positive reappraisal is it could be worse. You can always think of a way that it could be worse. Right. Or, you know, maybe there's something good coming out of the situation. You know, I'm, I'm learning a lot about myself. Okay. Um, I, you know, good thing this happened now. If it happened next week, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I mean, just, you know, there are there's sort of infinite ways you can positively ah. reappraise. And, you know, this isn't saying that something isn't stressful and being like, well, sure. actually, I'm going to deny that it's stressful. But it's you can always find a way that something is, you know, slightly less bad than you initially thought it was. Yeah, I, I, I was telling my husband, you know, my mom has deteriorated quite rapidly. And um, she's having a little trouble walking and she's now li- as light as a feather. And so she has to get to the bathroom very quickly a lot. And so I was with her on Saturday. And so, of course, her and my father devised that her wheeled walker would now be uh, her car, you know, (laughs) used to drive. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh. So she's like, Diane, I have to go to the bathroom. So I'm like, okay, so I got to get her into this because I'm giving my father a break. I have to get her into this, uh, you know, wheel walker and I have to try to roll it on the carpet, you know, and roll it and not and try to get it down the narrow hallway really quick. And I'm having a lot of trouble because the wheels are just not cooperating. And so we both start laughing, you know, and she said to me, well, if I didn't have an accident before, I certainly had one now. It took so long. But it was, we were, I was so stressed, you know, about getting her and I got to do everything right. And then, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. But then we just both laughed. And it was so good to laugh and to hear her laugh. So Mm -hmm. I guess I did that. Hey, you did. You absolutely did. (laughs) Well, we we do need to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's true that, you know, a lot of people do this naturally. Um, I'm a definitely a natural positive reappraiser, you know, much to the annoyance of my children. Right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't make the football team, but now you have more time to practice math. I mean, like, so it doesn't go over real well. Right. Um, but it's also a skill that you can learn and, and uh, get better at. Yeah, because I was going to ask you that because, um, you know, being positive doesn't come naturally to a lot of us. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what does it take to teach us? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it just takes um, some awareness that this isn't like a major personality change. It's, you know, any one of these skills are just, it's it's really just sort of a small tweak to yeah. the way you look at things. Yeah. Um, and then a matter of practicing it be, until it becomes sort of your natural way of, of responding. So it's kind of like 
we're going to kind of make it a habit? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's absolutely it. Okay. And how about number six? <laughs> number six. So let's see. Talk about positive repairs yeah. personal strengths. So it's noticing your what um, strengths you have um, in the situation. So, I mean, oftentimes when um, – when people are experiencing chronic stress, yes. they um, they can't see that they've got anything right. going for them, right? <laughs> right? Yes. Like, and you can sort of get into that downward spiral of, you know, I'm stressed out, I can't cope with this, right. I'm an awful person, you know, there's no point, and then they just sort of spiral down. Whereas if they can um, sort of note some strength that they have, you know, wait a minute, but I have a sense of humor. Um, or, you know, I'm a really good friend or, um, I'm a, I'm a good caregiver and it's a good thing that I'm here for my parent. Um, it can sort of help stop that downward spiral, um, that we can all get into. Yes. It's very easy to get into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then number seven is attainable goal setting. So this is, um, you know, based on research uh, that shows that even um, the perception that you're moving toward a goal, it doesn't yeah. even have to be achieving it, but the, the feeling of movement um, is related to more positive emotions. So if anyone is a, a list maker, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here. So yeah. I am absolutely a list taker. So it's, you know, write down all the things that you have to do. And, you know, when you get a hit of positive emotion when you cross one of those off. Right. So for this skill, we sort of help people um, understand how to make attainable goals, how to set them so that they're not so hard that they'll, you know, obviously fail or not so easy that there's no effort involved. So there's sort of a sweet spot in there where you, you know, list those things. And and then as you're um, as you're accomplishing each of those goals, you can cross them off. Yeah, I, I, I think probably we oftentimes probably set unrealistic goals, you know, that are going to take a while to do. And then you're just like, forget it. I'll never get, you know, I'll never be able to do all these things. And um, so you have to set realistic goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's something that we really work on. Um, You know, we have versions of this that um, are delivered by a facilitator. So the facilitator really works with the individual to help them find that sweet spot of not too hard, but not too easy. Um, And then we also have um, some self-guided online versions that we're testing where people go through oh, it on their own. Okay. But we have lots of language in there trying to help people um, sort of uh, find the, the right level of, of goal to um, sort of maximize their positive emotion from it. Yeah. Because it's so easy, you know, to just say, oh, no, I can't do this, or no, this isn't going to work, or you throw your hands up, or it just gets, everything just seems to pile on you. So mm-hmm. you just experience the more positive emotions on a daily basis. That's, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, you're, you're reframing your thought process. It, it, that's a big part of it, yes. Yes, absolutely. And finally, the eighth <laughs> the eighth skill um, is acts of kindness. So uh, the first seven skills are very intra-individual, sort of looking into yourself right? Um, and, and working sort of internally. Acts of kindness is a very externally facing skill where you do something nice for someone else, you know, and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, giving um, a hundred dollars to someone. It can be, you know, something really small and it doesn't even have to involve money. So, um, 
in this skill, we really work with participants to sort of, and we even have sometimes a, a list of nice things you can do for other people right? Um, to help them sort of think about ways that they might be able to do this. Um, it's interesting. So, um, you know, we've done this uh, versions of this intervention in lots of different stressed groups, right. oftentimes people with a significant illness of their own um, with the caregivers um, in, in the, the one study that we've published on it, we did have acts of kindness. Um, but that one, and even though the caregivers loved it and they did it really well, yeah. we really felt like they're already giving so much yeah. <laughs> that yeah. maybe acts of kindness isn't quite the right thing. So in subsequent uh, versions of the intervention for caregivers, we're um, swapping out acts of kindness for self-compassion. Um, so really having people, and this is, again, you know, something that's come out through multiple iterations of right. the, the program. And I mean, we, um, I think self-compassion sort of like cutting yourself some slack and, you know, maybe not having such perfectionistic high standards yeah. for yourself, um, in every situation and being like, you know, just really, um, treating yourself as you would treat a friend going through a yeah. similar situation. Um, we felt that, you know, that's always been sort of implicit in the skills, but we, um, in, in our newer versions have made that explicit, um, to really help people sort yeah. of, um, feel more compassion toward themselves, which I think does, uh, it does increase positive emotion and really helps them cope better with the stress of caregiving. That is a tough one because I think as a caregiver, we feel like we have to be perfect. We have to get everything done and we have to do it. And it's all these tasks, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and you just feel like, Oh, I, I I didn't do that. I, I feel that way with my mother, you know, if I'm, I'm there Mm -hmm. a certain amount of time and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I didn't get this done for her. And I didn't do this. And I, you know, and you just, you, you just feel, you feel deflated, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that self-compassion. Yeah. That is an important one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can our um, our listeners find out more about, you know, the skills you're teaching? And um, So a good place to go is our lab website. Okay. Um, MoskowitzLab.com. Um, and that, that'll get you to our research studies. Um, uh, like I said, we, we are launching another study of um, dementia caregivers that okay. um, if your listeners might be eligible. Okay, perfect. Um, they, they should email um, LEAF study, that's L E A F S T U D Y, at ucsf.edu. Okay. Um, and they uh, then, I mean, we haven't launched yet, so it'll be probably another month or so. Okay. Um, but at that point, we'll send them the, um, the information to determine if they're eligible to be in that study. Well, that's perfect. And we will have um, this information on our resource page as well. Oh, great. Great. I know there's two points that you want us to take, a, you know, that you want our listeners to understand and to take away from what you're saying. Could you highlight those for us? Yes. Thank you for asking that. Um, the first point is that um, this is not um, sort of teaching happiness. Um, right. We're not promising that practicing these skills will make you happy. Right. <laughs> It'll help you find meaning in life. Um, I mean, and I think they're often framed that way, yeah. um, you know, in the press, um, just because that's sort of easy shorthand for people. 
Um, but I think that sets up sort of an unrealistic bar for yes. this. Really, the this this program and these skills are um, are aimed at helping people experience positive emotion in the midst of stress. Um, and you know, very much based on this research, showing that people can experience positive emotion in the midst of stress, and when they do experience more positive emotion, they do better and they can cope better with the stress. Right. So these skills are are ways to help people have more positive emotion, no matter what kind of stress they're experiencing. Okay. So that's that's sort of the first major point. The second major point is that these skills, although we've tested them in, you know, caregivers, uh, you know, dementia caregivers, people newly diagnosed with HIV, people with type 2 diabetes, people with metastatic breast cancer, um, these aren't specific to those types of stressors. These skills can help you cope with whatever kind of stress you're experiencing okay. and I mean to my mind everybody is experiencing some kind of stress right like, right on a day. I mean it might be just a major m- minor hassle um, to you but um, the more you can practice these skills the more positive emotion you'll bring into your life and the better able you'll be to cope um, with whatever sort of life throws your way and you say we need to pick one maybe one or two to uh, yeah, you don't have to do all eight. Just pick one or two that work for you and then make them a habit. Judy, thank you so much for being here. And again, could you just um, give us that information again? Yes. So um, you can find out more at Moskowitz Lab, M-O-S-K-O-W-I-T-Z-L-A-B at, um, or sorry, MoskowitzLab.com. And then uh, if you want to hear more about our upcoming study of dementia caregivers, You can find out more at leafstudy at ucsf.edu. Thank you. Thank you again, Judy. Thank you so much. And parents are hard to raise family. I love getting your emails and questions, so please keep sending them. You can reach me at diane at parentsarehardtoraise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.